Coming up on We Talk News this week, safer banking gets approved by the Senate Banking Committee. The industry is encouraged, but cautious optimism is the overall response. We'll hear from Normal's political director, Morgan Fox, plus reaction from other major CEOs in the industry. Plus, a power battle in the Bay State between State Treasurer Deborah Goldberg and former Cannabis Control Commissioner Shannon O'Brien. In Chicago, the annual Benzinga Cannabis Capital Conference show attracts some of the biggest names in the business. Is the investment community softening up? Massachusetts, the High Lifestyle Show celebrates its three-day festival with music, arts, tattoos, and indoor social consumption. Is this the model for future social clubs? All that and coast-to-coast and international cannabis news on We Talk News with Elena Pinto. Next. We are pro-cannabis media. Welcome to Weed Talk News, pro-cannabis media's weekly wrap-up of the biggest stories in the cannabis industry. I'm Elena Pinto. A little more cannabis history was made this week in Washington, D.C. The Senate Banking Committee approved the Safer Banking Bill 14 to 9. That's the first step toward a vote on the Senate floor. But when will that happen? And what are some of the roadblocks to moving forward with safer banking? Well, What about that group of Republicans in the Senate who seem to be blocking any positive or progressive movement in our federal government? Well, these are the topics PCM founder Jimmy Young asked the normal director of government relations, Morgan Fox, in our top story this week. Well, it's certainly been a big week in Washington, D.C., a monumental move by the U.S. Senate. A banking committee actually approved the safer banking bill. And that next step may be to bring it to the floor of the U.S. Senate to be voted on. Morgan Fox is the political director of Normal in Washington, D.C. Morgan, everybody's excited about this in the industry, and you should be congratulated because this is actually a lot of hard work for you, and you see some of the uh, benefits from that now. Oh, yeah, I mean, we've been working on this bill for uh, more than a decade now at this point, uh, which is uh, a little bit ridiculous considering uh, what a... uh, you know, an incremental change that it actually will be, but it's still a major move considering that, you know, this has passed uh, some in some form in the House seven times already. And this is the first time that it's actually gotten a markup uh, hearing and gotten a vote in the Senate. And uh, now we're hearing that uh, hopefully we will get a full floor Senate vote on this legislation uh, and uh, have it combined with uh, the HOPE Act which would provide some funding for uh, state and local officials that want to expedite expungement efforts for low-level cannabis offenses, as well as the Graham Act, which would protect Second Amendment rights uh, for uh, cannabis consumers. And we're hoping to see that on the floor uh, 
you know, as soon as, uh, you know, the uh, the end of October. <laughs> now, the big question is, what if the government shuts down in the next 72 hours or so? Um, what impact might that have on this moving forward? It's the million dollar question. But at the same time, uh, you know, everybody, you know, despite the fact that the government might be shut down, people in government are actually still working, uh, at least in my experience. Mm-hmm. Um, now, they might not be able to take public meetings or anything like that. But at the same time, we are still like all like uh, uh, trying to get work done. And, uh, you know, I I honestly don't think that a government shutdown is going to last particularly long if it does happen. Um, and, uh, you know, if it does happen, uh, I also think that it's going to put some of the uh, the major opponents of cannabis policy reform on the back foot. Jimmy's entire interview with Morgan Fox will be released on the LinkedIn page and YouTube channel for Pro Cannabis Media. Of course, all of these factors will be moot if the government shuts down at the stroke of midnight on Saturday. What impact will that have on the Safer Banking Act moving forward? That's what our D.C. correspondent Andrew Beringer talks about in his D.C. and Maryland Cannabis Report. This is Andrew Berenger reporting from Washington, D.C. for We Talk News. Now, did you know that the cannabis industry currently in the United States employs over 400,000 people as of April 2023? But workers in this booming new sector still face uncertainties stemming from federal policy. For instance, federal employees cannot consume cannabis without risking their jobs, even in states where it's legal. Because in the House, we saw the passage to the House Oversight Committee of the CURE Act, which admittedly got watered down. Uh, but this uh, legislation, as uh, as amended, would protect uh, applicants for federal employment or for uh, security clearances from being discriminated against for past cannabis use. Um, but I still think that it's really, really important that we are starting to talk about legislation in the Republican House that will stop discrimination against uh, past cannabis use and that it passed overwhelmingly in a bipartisan manner. It was a 30 to 14 vote. I mean, that is honestly mind blowing in our current Congress on the House side. And the fact that that was able to slide through with that vote and that it is currently making its way to uh, to the floor is a huge deal and I think a really good sign for other incremental measures like safer banking. The Safer Banking Act passed its first ever Senate committee vote last week, 14 to 9. Now, this legislation would allow state-sanctioned cannabis businesses to access financial services at the federal level. Supporters say attaching it to must-pass bills could improve its chances of being signed into law. But the looming threat of a shutdown could make or break the bill's prospects before it reaches the Senate floor. Also, rescheduling cannabis to a lower restricted substance category is another policy change that could impact the Safer Banking Act and other reform efforts. While public support for legalization continues to climb, workers and businesses still find themselves stuck between state and federal laws. Industry leaders urge lawmakers to work together to pass cannabis policy. As one of the fastest growing job creators in America, cannabis employs thousands but lacks basic support. Millions of Americans are anxiously awaiting federal policy changes that will provide guidance and support for this rapidly growing cannabis industry. Well, that will do it for me, the DC Area Report. 
Once again, I'm Andrew Berenger for We Talk News. So what was the reaction to the news about the Safer Banking Act getting approved by the Banking Committee? Well, the National Conference of State Legislatures, the American Bankers Association, the American Bar Association, and the NAACP all are backing this legislation. Comments from some of the biggest names in the industry also echoed support. CEOs from major multi-state operators like Charlie Bachtel is CEO of Cresco Labs, and he happens to be the chair of the National Cannabis Roundtable Association. He is optimistic that the timing is right. Quote, there wasn't nearly enough engagement from members of the Senate or the House to get a solution across the finish line. It's different in 2023. Unquote. Kim Rivers, CEO of TrueLeave, commented, quote, that after having seven votes out of the House in the past, realizing this first vote out of the Senate signals a strong bipartisan support from both chambers of Congress, unquote. And CEO of Verano Holdings, George Arcos, said, quote, the vote is another significant catalyst to normalize and empower the cannabis industry and is a long overdue step forward by our elected officials, unquote. It was just a few weeks ago when positive news about this bill sparked a bump in cannabis stocks. Well, what was the impact this time? Our guy who is high on Wall Street, Doug Miller, has that reaction. I'm Doug Miller from High on Wall Street with this week's cannabis stock report for Weed Talk News. The Safer Banking Act cleared the Senate Banking Committee, and now it'll move to the Senate floor. If it passes the Senate floor... It goes to the House of Representatives. This is huge for the cannabis industry because it's necessary for cannabis businesses to have access to banking, just like any other business, in order for it to survive and become lucrative. Of course, we're approaching a government shutdown in a few days, so hopefully they can pull that together, just like they usually do at the last second. But then... The question is, is the Safer Banking Act really a priority? It is to me, but does the government feel that way? Well, it is a big topic for votes, so we have to see how this is going to play out. With that all said, let's go ahead and look at the stock charts. Cureleaf, one of the biggest MSOs, it is trading around 449, and it did top out a few days ago, but it wants to try to curl up. But I have to keep my eye on it because I don't think it's going to. And Canopy Growth, that's trading around 81 cents. It also topped out a few days ago before the news. And this is curling down. Finally, TrueLeave is trading around 621 and topped out just like the other ones before this news. And this one's also curling down. But the whole market's been red. So it's definitely not helping the cannabis industry. And that's this week's Cannabis Stock Report. Reporting for Weed Talk News, I'm Doug Miller. Another example of regulators starting to pay more attention to some of the vagaries in testing results comes from Michigan this week. Some of Viola edibles produced by Shango have been recalled for excessive THC. Shango is a multi-state operator who produces Viola's Grandma's Kitchen, Big Apple Dreaming, and Auntie's Punch in a number of states under the Viola's brand. This was a voluntary recall because the company could not explain or prove 
the amounts of THC in these different products. The regulators in Michigan also said that it was limited the amount of infused edible products. So in the meantime, in Pennsylvania, the fight continues to move that state from just a medical option to adult use. Claudia Post has an update from the Keystone State. I'm Claudia Post from Scarlet Express, and I'm here in the Keystone State, Pennsylvania, reporting for Weed Talk News. Marijuana reform legislation continues to advance in Pennsylvania. The Senate Bill 846 legalizes the adult use of marijuana, permitting those ages 21 and older to possess and purchase up to 30 grams of cannabis. The bill would also allow registered medical marijuana patients to home grow their own cannabis. We don't know how many plants yet, but we're working on it. In addition to the bill, it would establish the Cannabis Regulatory Control Board and the Cannabis Business Development Fund, creating regulations for cannabis businesses, including licensing, advertising, and distribution. It also contains provisions facilitating the expungement of past marijuana convictions and ensuring social equity for future cannabis-related businesses. During the discussion at the sixth annual Cannabis Opportunities Conference, or Black Cannabis Week, policymakers, most of whom are Black, emphasized the importance of building social equity into the legal market. Representative Donna Bullock, one of two House lawmakers who circulated a co-sponsorship memo about the policy and legalization, said during the roundtable that including a robust equity program is the only way legislation will win her support. No bill will move forward with my name on it until I know for sure we're not repeating mistakes of equity in name only. If you think you're going to get me, was just some expungements. You're wrong, she added. And I know Donna, she's really terrific. If we're going to really do this for legislative perspective, then all of us in the state need to make sure that we're actually doing it, making sure that we're supporting individuals for this social equity bill that we're going to put forward. Philadelphia was once poised to open the nation's first supervised consumption site. Instead, it's about become the first major city to enact a near total ban on all sites. Philadelphia City Council passed legislation Thursday that will ban what are sometimes called overdose prevention centers. And um, this is all linked to the drug issues, of course, which I like to separate certainly from marijuana, but they're all sort of intertwined in everybody's mind. Most people who testified in support of the sites and against the ban are not residents of neighborhoods like Kensington and Harrogate, home to the largest open air drug market on the East Coast. Quite a distinction. It's disturbing that the voices of the people who don't have to deal with the day-to-day trauma that our children in our community have to deal with, it's disturbing to me that they think their voices should be louder than those who walk the streets every day. 
So that's a wrap from Pennsylvania. I'm Claudia Post from Scarlet Express, and I'll be back next week to talk about what's hot and what's not in Pennsylvania. Depending on what state you reside in, you might want to think twice about moving to Kentucky. Over the past two decades, the stats for cannabis arrests are alarming. How about two people arrested for cannabis crimes every hour? Since July 2002, 300,000 people were arrested in Kentucky for cannabis crimes over the next 20 years, according to Kentucky Center for Economic Policy. There's no such issue in Oregon where it's been legal to possess cannabis since 1973. Medical cannabis was approved in 1998. And so maybe that's why there is a lot of pride coming out of that state this week. Their senator led the way to get the Safer Banking Act approved by committee. So here's our proud Oregonian, Marianne Kursaji. I'm Marianne from Alibi with this week's Oregon Cannabis Report for Weed Talk News. The big news this week is that the Safer Banking Act is making its way through Congress. Led by Oregon Senator Jeff Merkley, this bill would ease restrictions on banking for cannabis businesses and allow employees to use cannabis income to qualify for mortgages. Next, if you're interested in trying some cannabis products for the betterment of all Oregonians, pick up a judging kit for the Oregon Cannabis Cup. Anyone over the age of 21 can be a judge. Kits range from $40 to $90 and include 13 product samples. Stop by Smooth Roots, Top Crop, or Electric Lettuce to purchase your kit. Awards will be presented December 18 at 420. And finally, an update on the ongoing LaModa saga. LaModa was granted licenses to operate in New Mexico this week even though its owners face more than $1 million in tax liens and are linked to the scandal that led to the resignation of Oregon's Secretary of State. New Mexico's Regulation and License Department said that they could not find any suspension, revocation, or conviction. That'll do it for the Oregon Report this week. I'm Marianne with Alibi for Weed Talk News. A quiet week on the European cannabis front this week. So Lex Pelger will be back next week. But there's been some interesting changes in Canada. And Debbie Facey has more. This is your Canadian correspondent, Debbie Facey, with your Canadian Talk of the Week. What we have this week in Canada is the Industrial Research Assistance Program and the National Research Council are going of Canada are going to be looking into the $2.2 million that they had provided to over two dozen outlets for their research and development when it came to their projects. What they found overall was that they were actually utilizing that money when it came to their marketing and for their branding intentions when it came to enticing their investors. We also have is that the Canadian stores in British Columbia are now able to accept samples from the licensed producers and the brands. But when it comes to those samples, they are still not able to provide them to consumers like we do have them in Ontario. So, but BC is moving a little bit closer to the samples, but is still not in the for clear when it comes to our consumers. And last but not least, we have the, I guess I should say the collective 
of the Canadian companies backing the Senate 14 to 9 when it comes to safer banking for Canadian cannabis consumers, which is a great thing due to the fact that this helps not only America, but it benefits Canada. This is Debbie Facey, the Canadian correspondent for We Talk News with your Canadian Talk of the Week. Peace. The Benzinga Cannabis Capital Conference is always one of the biggest dates in the cannabis business calendar. Both Thomas Howard from Cannabis Legalization News and Angie Seifert are attending out there. And also announced at this conference was a national award for best cannabis entrepreneur that will be named after the late Bob Fireman from Marymed, who passed away suddenly late last year. Before she left for Chicago, Angie Seifert gave us an update on the Connecticut cannabis scene where New Haven might have capped its limit of legal dispensaries at five. Angie Seifert has more. I'm Angie Seifert from Skip Intro Advisors with the Connecticut Cannabis Report for Weed Talk News. New Haven City Plan approves fifth cannabis establishment to open on Industrial East Street. The city's fifth and possibly final approved cannabis retailer will go on a relatively isolated, industrially zoned stretch of East Street and will be owned by a New Haven native who served on Governor Ned Lamont's Cannabis Social Equity Working Group. The company behind the East Street application is owned by Kevra Smith-Bolden, a registered nurse for 20 years who in 2017 formed what at the time was the first and only legal cannabis business owned by a person of color. Next, cannabis website Leafly has released its list of the best six cannabis dispensaries in Connecticut. The top of the list is the botanist in Danbury, citing what Leafly described as the friendly demeanor of staff and a wide variety of available products. Locals in Connecticut value dispensaries that put an emphasis on customer education, comfortable environment, and a friendly staff. Also included are Rise Dispensaries in Bransford, Bransford, Fine Fettles Manchester location, and Southern Connecticut Wellness Dispensary in Milford. And we will be talking about that next. Additionally, the Botanist and Prime Wellness in Connecticut in Windsor, who only sell medicinal cannabis. So there's lots of reasons to congratulate these winners, and there's plenty more work ahead. So speaking of Milford's last medical cannabis dispensary, that is now moving to a former TD North, Br- North branch in Orange, Connecticut. Southern Connecticut Wellness and Healing will move to 318 New Haven Ave to 175 Boston Post Road in Orange within the next few months where it will be known as Rise Dispensary, owned by the Green Thumb Industries of Chicago. Construction workers are on site, and they're doing what the tenant is asking for, and um, it leaves Milford without a medical or recreational dispensary anymore. Now, most medical dispensaries are going to cities that allow for medical and adult use purchases because they don't want to be limited to just medical sales. I'm Angie Seifert from Skip Intro Advisors with the Connecticut Cannabis Report for Weed Talk News. When New York State voted in legalization and launch of an adult use market, supporters wanted to help out the legacy growers go legal. There was all sorts of talk about access to capital. First shot at licenses for social equity applicants. And we all know what happened there. It all backfired. And now the courts are trying to figure it all out. At the same time, thousands of legacy or unlicensed sellers are thriving. Now another program that was created for the right reasons has now blown up. 
with another case of mismanagement. And Pam Schmiel has more on our New York report. I'm Pam Schmiel with the New York Cannabis Report for Weed Talk News. The New York Cannabis Insider newspaper released an article today claiming New York State's mentorship program meant to help legacy growers go legal is backfiring. The mentorship program paired legacy growers with licensed farmers who would teach them systems on how to be compliant with state laws and other processes. But because there are only 23 dispensaries in operating in the entire state, farmers have no way to sell their crops and are looking to the legacy growers to help them sell through illegal operations. This will not be difficult since there are now 39,000 unlicensed storefronts operating throughout the state. That's up from 1,500 stores, unlicensed stores, just a few months ago. And Joseph Bullock, the board chair of New York's Cannabis Advisory Committee, made a public announcement claiming the Office of Cannabis Management has not included the advisory committee in any decision-making and has yet to even reach out to them at all. And the board chair also noted that the advisory board's participation is required by New York's cannabis law. And Mr. Bellock also noted that the Cannabis Control Board recently passed a slate of regulations without consulting or seeking advice from the advisory board. And my question is, what has the advisory board been doing for the past few years while getting paid with taxpayer dollars. And lastly, applications for anyone wanting to enter the cannabis industry opens on October 4th, and the Office of Cannabis Management has said they plan to approve over 1,000 licenses. That's this week's New York Cannabis Report. I'm Pam Schmiel for We Talk News. Tilt Holdings, based in Arizona, made a C-level change at the top of their operation, and they didn't have to look far to find their new CEO. Karen Black has our Arizona Cannabis Report. I'm Karen Black from Greenfinger Consulting with the Arizona Cannabis Report for Weed Talk News. What do cars, concert tickets, and bags of cash have to do with the Grand Canyon State? Well, apparently giving some of them away is how some independent brands acquired shelf space at Arizona dispensaries. The recent truly racketeering lawsuit against former Arizona employees and vendors has highlighted what many are calling systemic problems in the cannabis ecosystem. Eight multi-state operators with in-house brands reportedly run half of Arizona's 300 or so dispensaries. Industry insiders claim they dominate shelf space in their stores and others, forcing smaller companies to have to pay to play and causing perpetual failures of independent brands. Some are hoping these revelations could be a catalyst for change in Arizona's cannabis business practices and limited license structure. According to insiders, the current environment is ripe for corruption. Meet the new boss, same as the old boss. The board of directors of Arizona multi-state operator Tilt Holdings stopped its search for a new CEO and instead awarded the position to interim CEO Tim Condor, 
Mr. Condra has been in the role since April of this year and previously served as the company's president and chief operating officer. Historically, the five C's have underpinned Arizona's economy, copper, cattle, cotton, citrus, and climate. And now there's potentially a sixth, cannabis. According to Cannabis Business Times, Arizona is one of eight states expected to achieve a billion dollars in retail sales in 2023. And Arizona ranks sixth on the list of eight. How fitting. That's this week's Arizona Cannabis Report. I'm Karen Black from Greenfinger Consulting reporting for We Talk News. For the first few months of Missouri's adult use cannabis rollout, everything was going perfectly. Monthly sales records were being set and broken, but now a product recall continues to cause problems and is probably headed to court. Our Missouri man, Brandon Jones, has more. Hey everybody, it's Brandon Jones with Be Green Distribution with Missouri Canner Support for Weed Talk News, sponsored by Baker Brands. And yeah, thank you very much. Things are going crazy here in Missouri in the end of September. All the events are getting a little crazy around here. And then we've got the sales. So just a little bit of update. As of last month, we had sold more than $715 million in seven months in recreational sales in the state of Missouri. So we're seeing rapid, rapid growth here. We're seeing a lot of different MSOs coming into the state and operating that are coming from out because they've seen the progress here in the state of Missouri. Um, we have another event these next weekends. We got Lucky Leaf in St. Louis. Uh, we have the Creep Show uh, at Smoky River with two chains and all that kind of stuff. But again, a lot of the regulations have been a little bit uh, addressed here with all of the distillates that came in that were produced incorrectly. So a lot of that has been addressed now. Products are back on the shelf and sales are starting to uptick back to where they had been and are projected to be. So we did see that little dip last month, and now we're starting to see a steady incline in sales. And I would say we're probably getting close to $800 million in sales in the state of Missouri in eight months. So look out for Missouri. If you haven't got a chance to come out to Kansas City or St. Louis, either one, there's tons of events, infused dinners to concerts to everything that now cannabis is allowed at. And it's just a great time to be here in the state of Missouri, enjoying cannabis, people, community, and getting together. And one little side note, yes, I have my wonderful Be Brave shirt. So being brave is lots of different things. It also means asking for help. So, you know, I had an opioid addiction problem and I had to ask for help. So if you need to ask for help, that's that's OK. So we're all here to help and support. That's the cannabis community. We're a community of healing and helping. So please reach out if you have any issues. I'm here to help. I'm Brandon Jones with Be Green Distribution with the Missouri Cannabis Support for We Talk News. Have a great week. Stay educated and medicated. Brandon Jones, Missouri Cannabis Report, is brought to you by Baker Brands, a curated B2B marketplace for head shops and dispensaries. In California and in many states, Croptober is celebration of the harvest of the year's cannabis crops. Drying, trimming, and packing are all part of the process, and Havana Vassau knows all about the process and about how special this time of year is out in the Golden State. I'm Lavana Vassa from the Bay Sash reporting for PCM with this week's California report for We Talk News. Enforcement that pays for itself? Early last month, the California Attorney General's Office announced its Cannabis Administrative Prosecutor Program, also known as CAP, no cap, has started its first partnership with the city of Fresno. According to an article published by Courthouse News, the CAP program will use citations, violations, notices, and orders to stop the prohibited activities. 
Illegal operators who refuse to shut down on their own will face the eradication of their unlicensed grows and a shutdown of their retail and manufacturing activities. The state's Department of Justice, working with Fresno, plans to recover the cost of the program through fines, administrative orders, settlements, enforcement actions, and liens. Fresno will keep any money brought in that exceeds the program's costs. According to the California AG's press release, this cooperative effort between the DOJ and local jurisdictions will supplement the criminal and civil enforcement efforts being undertaken by the California DOJ's Eradication and Prevention of Illicit Cannabis Task Force, or EPIC, and the Governor's Unified Cannabis Enforcement Task Force. In other news, last Friday, the U.S. Customs and Border Protection at Ote Mesa Port of Entry near San Diego seized over 2.5 tons of cannabis from a 45-year-old Mexican national who was driving a tractor trailer holding a manifesto for abrasive cutting wheels. The inspectors were able to deduce the anomalies using non-invasive inspection technology, which revealed enough to inspect further. The cannabis was seized by officers and the driver was turned over to Homeland Security Investigation. That's this week's California Cannabis Report. I'm Lavana Vassa from PCM reporting for Weed Talk News. Now it's time for the Vermont Cannabis Report sponsored by Canatrol. Here's Vermont's green nurse, Jessie Lynn Dolan. I'm Jessie Lynn Dolan from Vermont Cannabis Nurses, and this is the Weed Talk News Vermont Report. This week, the Vermont Cannabis Control Board approved 24 licenses, a dozen new, and a dozen renewals. They also met this past week for the second in a series of four medical stakeholder study group with the intent for the Cannabis Control Board to write and submit a report as to recommended changes needed in the medical program to send to legislators for 2024. Vermont Growers Association stood up a permanent emergency relief fund for the state's cannabis industry post-July's historic flooding with a goal of $50,000. Visit vermontgrowers.org for more information. That's the Vermont Report for Weed Talk News. I'm Vermont's cannabis nurse, Jessie Lynn Dolan. The Vermont Cannabis Report is supported by another Green Mountain business, Canatrol, winner of High Times Best Dry Cure System. Check them out at canatrolls.com. Last weekend, Massachusetts may have had a preview of what a cannabis social consumption event would look like. It was called the High Lifestyle Show, and it was held in Boxborough, Massachusetts, where event organizer Gary Summers rented out the entire Regency Hotel. PCM founder Jimmy Young was there and has that story in his Bay State Cannabis Report, brought to you by CNA Stores. I'm PCM founder Jimmy Young, and this is the Bay State Cannabis Report for We Talk News, sponsored by CNA Stores. Well, now we know why Shannon O'Brien described her Cannabis Control Commission as being in chaos. She was clairvoyant. Two weeks after Massachusetts State Treasurer Deborah Goldberg suspended O'Brien from her post as chair of the CCC with no reason shared to the public, O'Brien brought a lawsuit against Goldberg claiming there was no due process for that suspension in the first place. These are the leaders in the regulatory process in the state. Now it's turned into a legal catfight. Unbelievable. You just can't make this stuff up. But it's exactly what this industry does not need here in Massachusetts. Maybe they both need to chill out and share some product. They've certainly exposed a good reason why politicians should not be involved with a regulatory commission as visible as this one. 
One of the topics still to be decided by the CCC is what to do with social consumption clubs. It's inexcusable to me that five years after the ballot question was passed with social clubs written into that law, that the regulatory commission cannot create the rules and regs to put on an event where indoor consumption is allowed. For the second straight year, though, it happened. Gary Sommer's High Lifestyle show went off without a hitch over three days in Boxborough last weekend. Music, arts, vendors, and tattoo artists joined the exhibition over three days at the Regency Hotel in Boxborough. It was a private event, plus 21, and former regulator Shalene Title was the keynote speaker and was interviewed by Talking Joints memo writer Chris Ferrone. And now she would be a good person, you think, that maybe that treasurer should talk to about returning to the commission? But a commission in chaos, confusion and crisis, why would she? Anyway, she did share some thoughts on the federal reform news of perhaps moving cannabis to Schedule 3 for controlled substances. People ask, where did this come from? Did maybe Big Pharma push it? Did someone else push it? It's my opinion that this wasn't pushed by anyone in particular, but it's a political half-cocked unexamined idea that looks like it might be good, that it might placate and pacify the cannabis community, might get some votes right before an election, but the consequences of it to all of us have not been looked at. The other reason, and I don't want to discount this at all, is that it comes with a massive, massive tax break for marijuana businesses because of a specific law called 280E that would be reversed it's actually gonna keep small businesses, many of them from going out of business because their tax rate would become better. I will have a more complete wrap-up story on the High Lifestyle Show at the end of We Talk News for now. I'm Jimmy Young, and this was the Bay State Cannabis Report for We Talk News, sponsored by CNA Stores. The Massachusetts Cannabis Report on We Talk News is sponsored by CNA Stores, with two locations of their veteran-owned and family-operated dispensaries in Amesbury and Haverhill, dedicated to the community north of Boston, providing consumers with the widest selection of products in the state. And finally tonight, two stories to leave you with. One is PCM founders Jimmy Young look at the high lifestyle show that took place over this past weekend in Boxborough. And the other is this one. You've probably heard about the movie Cocaine Bear. The basic premise of that is that a bear gets into a stash of cocaine and has humorous escapades of this bear freaking out on cocaine. Well... What happens if sheep get into a stash of weed? Well, it happened in Greece, where over 100 kilograms of cannabis were devoured in a greenhouse by a flock of sheep during a big storm. The shepherd knew something was different when he saw some strange behavior in his flock, and it turns out his sheep were jumping higher than the goats on his farm, and the shepherd admitted that's not supposed to happen. No sheep, though, were harmed. But admittedly, we're much hungrier than usual. That's Weed Talk News for this week. I'm Elena Pinto. We now leave you with PCM founder Jimmy Young's story on the High Lifestyle Show in Boxborough from last weekend. It could be a preview of what a cannabis social consumption event might look like. Here it is. We'll see you next time. When you put an old hippie in charge of an event where social consumption of cannabis is legal, you add in some really talented bands like the Mighty Mystic and Fortunate Youth, 
They packed the ballroom on Saturday. How can you lose? And how can you run an open consumption event and not have a Grateful Dead cover band or two? Social consumption, responsible social consumption indoors because of this guy, Gary Somers. He is the organizer. He saw the vision. Were you at Woodstock? No, no. I did a lot of rock festivals in 70, 71, 72. So you got the whole idea back when you were much younger. Now, you said you're the hippie in charge. Are you comfortable with that? I am. I am the hippie in charge. For the second year in a row, Gary Somers pulled off the High Lifestyle Show over three days, providing great musicians and bands in a safe, plus 21, private locale. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the good, the bad, and the butcher. The concept was to follow in the path of craft wine and craft beer for craft bud. And with craft wine, you know there's only so many bottles. Craft beer, there's only so many barrels. Well, with craft bud, there's only so many flowers. So how do you create a model where an event producer like myself, I'm not a dispensary owner, I don't want to be one, I don't want to be a brand. I'm here to try and elevate the model of professional event production involved in cannabis events. This year they added in a tattoo art show and recruited a tattoo producer and aficionado, Gabriel Ripley, who showcased the artwork of these amazing creators where the body is their canvas. So I'm Gabe Ripley and with uh, Tattoo Now and uh, we're here at the High Lifestyle Show and a big thank you to, to Gary for bringing together a whole bunch of tattoo artists into the show. It's been awesome. I'm here with Fawn Baker from Tattoo Collecting 101. Uh, it's all about tattoo education for tattoo collectors. And uh, how, how are you? Um, wonderful. I've done a few tattoos already today. Um, this show's actually just kind of like a delightful break from the usual tattoo shows that I've been doing. It's kind of, it's like different because in the like smoking area, which is the majority of the space, you know, it's like hippies usually it's like tattooed people sleeves everywhere we're kind of we're yeah i'm not saying there's not a lot of tattoos in the crowd but it's kind of like you know it's a it's like a breath of fresh air to do something a little bit different you know wherever gary goes so do a few collectibles and they'll always be on display like old vinyl albums t-shirts of classic rock bands and the line of gary somers approved hawaiian flower shirts Needless to say, you're going to attract the cannabis culture that has emerged here in Massachusetts. And we are very lucky because we found a, a host community that was very uh, supportive, uh, a local police department also supportive, and a venue on private property that we could rent in order to produce this type of event. And by paying the cleaning fee and staying on private property, we're allowed to consume our medication in the building. On display were vendors, growers, and the one-hit wonder guy himself, Steve Levine, Craft Bud Associations, tarot card readers, and only one licensed dispensary, High Hopes of Hopedale. Tasting, gifting, sharing was encouraged. Selling was not. 54 years ago, an upstate farmer in New York lent out his farm for Oh, a few hundred thousand young people to listen to music. You may have heard of something called Woodstock. They described it as three days of fun and music and nothing but fun and music. Well, that was Gary Sommer's idea for the High Lifestyle Show here in Boxborough, Massachusetts. Now, you got to understand that this is not just a vendor trade show. This is a social consumption indoor 
event, something that the Cannabis Control Commission is still struggling to figure out how to make it work. I say you can listen to a former commissioner, Shalene Title, because she was here and she embraced the whole idea. Or you can actually come to next year's event to learn about the fact that you can actually have three days of fun and music and nothing but fun and music, add a little cannabis in there and have no issues, enjoy yourself, learn something and probably meet some really cool people too. That was the High Lifestyle Show here in Boxborough, Massachusetts. Jimmy Young for We Talk News on Pro Cannabis Media. And yes, I'm pitching to you. That's Steve Levine, the inventor and principal behind the One Hit Wonder. And this little efficient device is getting rave reviews. And there's more uses than just a One Hit Wonder. The One Hit Wonder, you get a 50 milligram hit. So if you used a one-hitter or dugout before, you know the challenges. Steve's One Hit Wonder is easy to clean, use, and enjoy. Standard one-hitters do not work. We're afraid to inhale. The One Hit Wonder has a built-in ash catcher. So inhale like it's your last breath. Suck the ash right through. Get it at OneHitWonder.com.